Good morning. We're reading this morning from Romans 12, 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Nice to see you guys. Looking fantastic. Uh, let me say a prayer. Heavenly Father, um, There's so much here uh, that I just have like so much hope and expectation that we would uh, be able to ring out uh, the 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 life giving stuff of this passage and truly be changed in a way um, or, or know what it's like to be changed in the way that this these few sentences describe. Uh, what a thing to know that. Um, that you have us in this process by which we're coming to know what you want um, in the practical details of our life, and also that even while we're in process, that you, uh, you still fully invite us to participate. I pray um, for two things this morning, that there would be uh, a sense that you are not giving up on any of us, that you are inviting us into this beautiful, holistic change, and yet you also have fully invited every single person here by name who is united to Christ to be a full participant in your family. I pray that uh, you would awaken a sense of calling and giftedness and, and new vision uh, in our church through this passage. Your word is living and active. So I pray that it would, it would accomplish what, what, it, what you send it out to this morning. In Christ's name, amen. There's a bunch of intimidating sections of Romans to try to get up and cover in, a, in, a, in one Sunday. I'm going to rank this near, near the top. 
near, near the top. I'm just going to get into it. I'm not going to even tell a funny story at the start, though I want to. You just, you know that. Let's just register that as what I want to do. Uh, What if I told you that there was a vision of life that was so compelling, so expansive, so able to enthrall your imagination that no matter how much you pursued it or devoted yourself to it or lived in its direction, you would never exhaust it, never diminish it, never come to the end of its power and capacity. And what if I also told you that along with that vision, there is a reliable pattern of life that flows from it that you could follow, and the result of following it would be deep, meaningful change in the patterns of your thoughts and the patterns of your behavior, and that, it, and that, that more and more at the level of your character and habits, you could be, if you followed this reliable pattern, more and more aligned with this with this vision in the most practical ways. But also, these changes take place in a context of relationship that actually the process itself is led by love at every turn. It's not simply like an exercise program that, 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 that you're given and you try to follow, but, but it's a friend who meets you every day and says, let's run together. It's not like venturing into a new city and trying to figure it out with a a map and a guidebook. It's meeting someone who's lived there their whole life, who loves you, and who's going to take you to all the best spots because they know the city like the back of their hand. These types of changes take place in this relational context, but also these changes, though they're incredibly beneficial to you, they're not simply for you. They also begin to help you locate your place in the world. Not simply the work that you're going to do, but your deepest vocation, like the thing that you're made for. Not simply the family that you were born into, but begins to give you a relational framework in which you make the most significant contributions of your life, the things that, again, that you were made for. That to you might sound inspiring, it sounds inspiring to me, but also I realize if you step into this room, I don't know where you're coming from, it might sound really unrealistic. Like, what if I told you? Kind of sounds like the beginning of a commercial. I think there are actually like sports documentaries, 30 for 30 series, like, what if I told you the Celtics and the Lakers used to not like each other? Turns out they still don't, crazy. So it might sound unrealistic, it might sound like the beginning of a commercial, oh, here's another religious salesman telling us something that we want to hear. But whatever your response would be to it, at least you would acknowledge that the thing I'm trying to describe would be offering you a lot. It would be offering a vision of life, like I said, so some sort of comprehensive picture that ties in the different aspects of our world into a coherent whole. It would be offering a way to change, a way to grow, so that we wouldn't merely be left in a static place saying, I've agreed with this vision and, uh, by mental ascent, and so now I'm as far as I need to go, that all of us recognize the need to change and grow as part of being alive. It gives us a vision, it gives us a way to change and grow, and then it connects us into intimate relationship. There's friendship all the way through, and that's, if you look at the successful patterns of, of life change in our world... Almost, almost all of them have the, these things present. Uh, uh, you have to have some sense of what is and what is possible. You have to have some steps to take along the way to actually live in accordance with, with what's possible. And then you shouldn't do it alone. 
right? So if it's, if it's you know, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or a, a, a physical training regiment or, or a group of people trying to get together and address a systemic broken area of their neighborhood, th- those things have to be true, right? We have to have a vision. We have to have steps that we take along the way. And we, we're not just after this on our own. We have to do it together. But here's the thing. This particular pattern that I'm talking about, it works like love, so it works like this. When you first meet someone that you come to love, uh, you think about all that they can add to your life, right? That's maybe the things that initially attract you is, is how good it would be to be close to this person, to, to, to know them. But once you love them, if the love is growing and it's real, it's not some cheaper substitute, then what happens is you gradually begin to think of how you can actually add to their life what you can give, so you got in it for what it was in it for you, and maybe you, you were initially intrigued by this pattern that we're, we're looking at this morning because of what it offers you, but once you get into the throes of it, once you're living in the heart of it, you actually begin to realize the benefits that come to you are, are profound, but that's, it's not even the most significant thing. Let me say it like this. Romans 12, and this is why I was intimidated by having to teach it a little bit. It gives one of the most stirring visions of life ever written down, period. It it goes up, I I think you could put it against any school of thought, any system of philosophy, any practical life change training program. I I don't know how much my phone is listening to me. It must be some fair amount because every day I'm getting like a new like, here's how you can get in shape. Here's how you can eat clean. Here's a, here's a new pro, here's some new fitspo. Look at these people stretching and they're eating paleo and you're invited to come along. Let's go for a jog together. And for $13.99 a minute, you can be a part of this program. That was just, that was just a side, side expression of my own insecurity. I want this to be a safe Safe place. I think that the system of life change that's described in Romans 12, you could put it up against a- anything, any system of life change, any philosophy, any school of thought. And there is. There's so much in it for you. But like I said, the magic is, once you begin to live in the way that it describes, the things that it promises to you don't even become the deepest priority you realize you, you've stumbled into something that works like love. And so then you get people who say to God, people who are followers of Jesus, who are living in this, in this way, who say, you've changed me, God. I don't see life in, in, those, in the same terms anymore. I am yours. And this is how you get Christians singing things like, God, you're worthy of it all. Right? If you, if you just wander into a church and you don't know exactly what to expect and people have their eyes closed and their hands raised and they're swaying back and forth singing, you're worthy of it all and you don't have any idea who they're singing to, then that seems a little bizarre. But what, what's happened, just to, to, to dispel any strange awkwardness, what's happened to those people is that their hearts have been won over by what we're describing in Romans 12. And now they realize even though their lives have been profoundly changed, it actually the thing that's most deserving, the thing that needs to be first is actually God. And so they, they worship. What the heart of true worship is, is described in these few verses. Um, so if the singing part of the worship service is strange to you, that, that's what's going on. These people's hearts have been won over by what we're about to, to talk about. So I 
I want very simply to put the first, few, the first sentence uh, of this passage up on the screen, and then I just want to walk through it uh, in the most simple way I know how so that we can get a real sense of what, what is being described. This is, so, it's so dense that I, you know, it really does, like we don't have the opportunity to stop and, and, and tell stories and wring every one of them out because we're, we're, we're moving through a, a lot here. But let's just put this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Because some, some of you, this will be really familiar, and some of you, this is the, one of the first times you've ever heard this sentence. Um, I want to do a little bit of defining our terms, and I hope that doing this work at the beginning will help us come to have the full weight of this land on our hearts when, when, when we get there. So first, therefore, right? In your basic Bible teaching classes or, or Bible study classes, they say, when you come to a therefore, ask. You guys, that's it. You know, you're there already. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. That's the end of the service. You've arrived. Um, so this might be the biggest therefore in the whole letter. Uh, we're, we're, being, we're being directed not just to hear what comes next, as a response to the last thoughts, right? We just went through two com- like complex weeks on teaching about where is Israel's story and the unfolding story of God now? How are all the covenants being fulfilled? It's been really complex teaching. And then you have this huge pregnant therefore at the beginning of, of, of chapter 12. But actually, we're not just talking about what's been said in chapter 11. We're talking about therefore in light of everything that's come in the entire letter. So what's about to be said is built on everything that has come before. So the therefore does need to like sort of like flash our minds back to everything that we've, that we've been covering. Therefore, I urge, urge. This is a powerful longing type of encouragement. It's sort of like whatever you do, do this. In light of everything that we've been talking about, whatever you do, don't simply ignore this. The worst possible thing that you could be is someone who's just a religious hearer, right? That's Judas. <laughs> Heard the best teaching, saw the most profound miracles, was with Jesus in, in deeply intimate moments. And you know what? In, in some way, he stood back and he lifted his head and he said, mm, very interesting. This is so compelling. But he, he was inspired, but he was not transformed, right? He was challenged, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't changed. He was a hearer. But his heart did not enter in. Therefore, I urge you, please don't remain on the peripheral just listening. This, this word is used in the New Testament a couple of other times, and it's used to say, to say oh, I'm overwhelmed with longing. I'm overwhelmed with longing. And there's a relational aspect to, to the way it's used here. That's basically Paul saying, listen, I'm dearly hoping that you will come to where I am on this. Therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, right? So easy to fly past this. Just a little filler to address the readers again. But Paul's been constructing in, in, in what's come before this powerful case of how the gospel of Jesus unites people. Jewish people, Gentiles, the, 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 those who are servants, those who are, 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 are wealthy, that people from every tribe and tongue and nation are being welcomed around this table. It was a revolutionary idea that truly actually did historically revolutionize the Roman Empire in about 300 years, that they were welcoming one another into their table. And so when he says brother and sisters, he's not just being polite. He's not just being solemn and religious brothers and sisters. 
I have a very complicated sentence for you now. He says, we've become family. What Jesus has done is so profound that it takes people from entirely disparate backgrounds and brings them together around the table and makes them brothers and sisters. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, we're, being, we're made family. And then this, in view of God's mercy. I started out asking you, what if there was a vision that was so captivating, so, so compelling, so enthralling? This is the vision, in view of God's mercy. This is that expansive, compelling thing that's, that's meant to capture our imagination. It's the thing Paul's been describing throughout the letter. Everything that he's about to ask us to do is in response first to a view of God's mercy. A vision that we can return to every single day to stir our imagination. So just a few what ifs. What if there really is a God? I mean, that's something. What if there really is a God who knows the brokenness of the world? Who you're like, I have a problem, like I have a problem with the problem of evil, that's why I don't believe in God. You know what, God's like, I have a huge problem with the problem of evil too. A huge problem with it. It just, can't stand it. And I'm getting into the mix with that problem. I'm not standing back just like, you know, intellectually uh, going around about it. I've plunged myself into the middle of the struggle. What if there really is a God who knows the brokenness of the world and longs to heal it? Longs to repair it? Longs to redeem it? What if the things that break your heart about the way that the world is broken actually break God's heart? And that's why it breaks your heart, because you're made in God's image. What if there really is a God who has love as the key attribute of his existence? That unlike any being, create any God that you want to, any powerful being, they can't be love in their very existence because God, because Yahweh, so mysteriously, so you would not make this up because it's too difficult to explain, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In God's very being is love because in God's very being there is community. What if this God is so merciful that he's willing to absorb himself all the way to death, the consequences of our wrong choices so that he can offer us life and life to the full, life with him that doesn't have to end? What if this God wasn't asking you to, re- to live by religious willpower, but was saying, I'm going to put my very spirit in you? And the way this tabernacle tent was mysteriously filled with my presence and the way this holy of holies in the temple was filled with my presence, I'm going to make it so because of my sacrifice on the cross, I can literally fill your very life with my spirit so you're not living by religious willpower but you're living by the spirit. And what if there was no group of people in the world beyond the reach of this God, beyond the reach of his love, beyond his redemption, and that every promise he makes he keeps? Have you heard that so many times that you're bored with it? In view of his mercy, just to come back, bathe our imagination day after day in that reality. Wow, there really is a God who, who's entering the brokenness, a God who's, who's love in his very being, a God who's giving himself to, to address this brokenness and to bring us in, a God who, who's filling us with his spirit, a God who's, who's leading us out to every tribe and tongue and nation because of his mercy. In view of this mercy, offer your bodies. Here's the thing. 
you already offer your body to something. And I don't mean this in a, in a, in a weird or crude way. Like, this is talking about like your habits, what you actually do with, with, with your, 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 your skin and bones and organs and brain, what you do on a, day, on a daily basis. Here's the thing. You offer your body to what has captured your mind. And the more you offer your body to something, the more it captures your mind. This is something that, that we learn about transformation. This, this passage does a lot of work to connect what happens with our body and what happens in, in, in our mind and how renewal has to take place in both arenas or it won't take place at all. Paul, Paul's going to have plenty to say about ideas and images and thoughts in our head. But right here Paul is saying, your response, in view of God's mercy, offer your body The response is a physical one. It has material substance. Not, offer not simply your beliefs, not simply your intentions, not simply even your list of doctrine in your head. Offer your body. Get involved in the training program. Get involved in a, in a life of worship that has material substance. Offer your body. This is about what you do as a what? As a living sacrifice. Remember we're defining the terms and it's going to help us later. That's what we're doing if you've forgotten. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. The the really unfortunate thing about the sacrifice in the Old Testament system was the sacrifice died. And yet Paul's saying, I want you to do that. I want you to be like dying in such a way that you're living more than you ever have. This is a counterintuitive, like uh, difficult to comprehend, upside down reality in the kingdom of God where Jesus says, if you want to save your life, lose it. I want you to, to, to be a living sacrifice. I want you to be in such perpetual surrender to the old parts of you that were disconnected from God, that you were working out of your own strength, that you were constructing out of just your own imagination. I want you to leave that behind and come to life in an entirely new way. This perpetual surrender. Let the habits of your body... Right, this is something that you could actually make part of your schedule, like... Earlier than I need to get up, I get up to offer my body, to, 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 to say, like, here I am, God. I want to begin this day. This is not, I, I want you just to, this is not just like a, a, a thought experiment. This is saying, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Let the habits of your body be in regular surrender to God, to God's mercy, to God's vision of the world. This is the difference between training and trying. We talked about this a lot, right? Many of our religious experience or walk with God is defined by trying. (laughs) It's defined by, I sort of find myself in a pattern of thought or behavior that beats me down. It exhausts me. I know that it's not what's best. I know that there's, there's aspects of it that I want to be free from. So I come and I hear a sermon or I listen to a song or, or a conversation with a friend and I get, I get inspired. (laughs) I get inspired for a while and I make these plans, but I don't become insistent on a regular basis of offering my body. My habits don't change. So I'm trying, but I'm not training. I've I've talked about this before, right? I I went to my doctor a few years ago, and he was talking about my cholesterol being super high um, and how how, how we should exercise. That's not something people do, and it really helps their health. Um, And I remember just like leaving his office, and later that week I signed up for the New York City Triathlon. It's like, this is how I do things. It's like, all in! And I never done one. Like, I couldn't remember the last time I swam. Um... And what I did was I went online, I started looking through it, and I found this like 16-week program that was like, day one, you're so pumped, rest. I was like, what? That's defeating. Um, 
But eventually, like day by day, you follow this plan. And 16 weeks later, guess what? If you do it the whole time, you can do a triathlon. <laughs> like I couldn't before. If I had tried before, I absolutely couldn't. No matter how much I tried, how much I was inspired, I couldn't. But 16 weeks later, by following the plan, I could. I could do it. And I did it. <sighs> Just kidding, that's not, that was unplanned, but I did appreciate it. I feel it. I'll, I'll do another triathlon, I think. Um, what Paul's talking about is not just like get, you know, like get, get an idea in your head and just mull it over. No, no, get your body in there. Offer your body as, as a regular, daily, perpetual surrender, and it will begin to make you into something different. You have to have a vision. You have to have some actual step-by-step plans that you're following and you, and you have to do it with people who are with you. Holy and pleasing. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. When you engage in this process, it is holy and pleasing to God. What does that mean? Holy simply means set apart, having a quality that belongs to God. God's spirit is in your life and begins to affect your character in such a way that your character takes on attributes that are, that, are, that are unique to God and God's people. You become holy, but also pleasing. I love this, right? Because holiness sometimes is described as like a moral straitjacket, a bunch of a list of high religious rules that we're not sure that we can follow. But I love the fact that it's actually just a quality of life that belongs to God. And when God sees it being lived, he sees the freedom and the joy and the imagination, the creativity and the zest for life that comes from it. It is pleasing to God. Can you imagine that, where you are in the place you are in life right now? Can you imagine that God sees you living in step with him and has so much joy that he laughs, that he sings even? But he pulls someone over in the heavenly realms. He's like, you have to see this. You can't believe this. Look at this. Look at this kid. Oh, my gosh. This guy. That's how God is. Just kidding. I'm not sure. Do not email me. All right. Um, holy and pleasing, right? And then true and proper. This is your true. It's, it's holy and it's pleasing to God. And to the world, it is true and it is proper. What does this mean? It's true. We're talking about a life that's being lived in full integrity with reality. Sometimes this is a critique that Christians receive, that they're, they're living out of touch with reality. Their, their minds are on some spiritual heavenly place, and it's not connected to the, to the nitty-gritty matter of the world. This is not what God has called us to at all. Actually, he's called us to live with full integrity in alignment with the reality of the world. It is true, but it is also proper. Right, proper in a world where everyone's sort of making their life out of their own best opinions, a word like proper sort of falls to the wayside. But essentially it's saying that this is a, life is a fitting expression to the way things really are. It fulfills the right, right purpose that we're here for as human beings, which means there is a right purpose that we're here for as human beings, and that sort of elicits a lot of debate. But let's just say this, right? We, we can see this in our culture pretty clearly. We're in a terribly challenging place. Terribly challenging place when we try to make changes in our lives or in the world with nothing higher to appeal to than our own opinions or preferences. Right? We're like destined to be circling around in endless debate with nothing to appeal to higher than our own opinions or preferences. This passage is saying 
Maybe it's one of the more controversial things. That there is a way of living that accords with the nature of the world, that accords with who God is, that is aligned with reality. It is proper. It is the, wi- the right way to, to live. So all that's been described is called worship. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to come once a week and show up and don't miss all the songs because you need to sing and that is worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is what a life of worship is. This is expressing adoration to God. This is living as if God really is who God claims to be. It's, it's directing your attention and your affection, your joy and commitment to the most uh, deserving person. It is effusive praise coming out of your life, not just coming out of our songs. Oh, I've broken this. Okay. So, in summary... Something you are seeing demands you adjust in response. Demands that you change your habits, where you show up, what you normalize. What you are seeing is is God, the scope of his mercy in repairing the world. And so you offer your body. You give your body in regular surrender to the things of God to live in that way that that sets your life apart. That, that is, is like the life God has. It brings God great happiness. It's in line with reality. It is the proper response to this expansive, inviting vision of how merciful God is. When you live in perpetual surrender, that's what worship is. And everyone, whether you like it or not, is worshiping something. There's something that has the highest claim on your affection and your time and your attention. And of course we know that living a life with a full view of God's mercy, right, that's only one possible vision of life. There's many other visions of life. So, so if this passage had started differently, if it had started with like, in view of all the recognition that could be yours, there's a type of life that would flow out of that. The passage does begin in view of God's mercy, but if it began in view of getting as much recognition as you can for yourself, or in view of a life of success where your goals are reached, or in view of experience as much, experiencing as much pleasure as possible, being able to indulge any appetite that you have, or if it began in view of a life of safety, or even something good, like in view of a life of helping others, doing as much good as I can with what I have been given, right? Depending on what that vision is, that's going to help to dictate the life that flows out of it. This vision begins with, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Okay, that's verse one. How are you doing? Cool. We're going to spend a lot less time on verse two, and then I'm just going to make brief comments on the rest, like almost nothing, okay? So just relax. Um, so, Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's saying, listen, there's a bunch of visions of life that, that can conform you into a particular pattern of living. I don't want you to be conformed any longer to these patterns of life that didn't have God at the center, that didn't have this view of God's mercy that, that weren't, weren't a life of response to him. I want you instead to not, to not be conformed to that, but, but to, be, to be transformed. The verse gets more and more astonishing, more depth the more you look at it. But whatever is being described here, what the result of it is, is that you would know what God's will is. 
This is the number one church coffee subject with pastors. I want to know what God's will is. <laughs> like if, if you hold, if you hold a, a, a huge conference and you have one session on to, to know the will of God, that's a session that's going to be absolutely packed out. People are, are, are deeply longing to know what, what God's will is in the world. And this passage is saying, if you follow these, this, this process, if you live in this way, you will come to know the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect Will. What does God want for my life? What does God want me to do? How do I know God's will? Well, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So just a, a few quick things on this. The word conform here, I know this is a lot of like vocabulary stuff, but uh, it means to fashion yourself according to something. It's to take on the attributes on the outside until they become true of you, to conform yourself. It's, it's quite often, right, in a totally natural way while you find people adapting to the place that they're in. It's why so many of you, uh, you know someone that when they moved to New York City, it was only a couple of months before they began dressing remarkably different. You know this person, maybe it's not you, you don't care, you're norm core and you're relaxed about it. But you know someone who got a new haircut and whose, whose, whose pants got skinnier and who's like had better shoes suddenly. It's like you always wore sort of like white orthopedic new balances. And now look at you. What are those European trainers? You're fancy. Right? It's how you begin to adapt to an outward reality until it becomes true of you. It's how you take on the ethos of your workplace or the ethos of your industry. It's why we're shaped by the stories that we repeatedly hear, by what we normalize, by what we normalize. We fashion ourselves according to the values that we are surrounded by. If you're not consciously aware of, of counterformation, of not being conformed to the values you're surrounded by, I promise you that they have a hold in your heart, that they have hooks in your mind. But instead of being conformed, we're invited to be transformed. This, this word, and I know you don't care about this, but this word is only used four times in the New Testament. And two of them are when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. He takes his closest friends away for this time of worship and prayer, and the glory that is present in Jesus shines out of him in a revelatory way so that, that, that his, his close friends are absolutely dumbstruck by it, and they're like, let's make tents and live here forever. And Jesus is like, no, I'm showing you what's true about me, but now I'm going to go down into the most unexpected thing possible and go to the cross to redeem you. So the first two times this word transformed is used, it's for Jesus' transfiguration. Then we have it in this passage. The only other time it's used is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want to put it up because I think it helps shine a light on what transformed means here. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the, 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 the conforming that's being talked about is adjusting to an outward set of values until they get their hooks in your heart. The transformation is a transfiguration. It's basically like God has put something in you, his very spirit. And by contemplating this vision of, 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 of God, this vision of his way in the world, by, by offering your body to participate in it, you're actually being transformed from the inside out so that, that you're becoming the thing God has already said you are. You've been adopted, but now you're starting to live like you're really at home with God. That's a type of transformation that's happening here.
There's nothing in between us anymore. The veil is gone. His spirit is in us. And so our minds return over and over, and it shapes us. Basically, we offer our bodies. We offer our minds. Right, there's a way to hear that. Offer your bodies, offer your minds like we're robot slaves or something, becoming copies of one another. But instead, God's put his spirit in us, and we're becoming fully alive, utterly unique people made in the image of God, adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and beginning to live like we're at home. Let me tell you the clearest way I've come to understand this. Some of you, if you've been around Trinity Grace Park Slope, you'll have heard me share some of this before. Well, part of what I'm about to teach like, actually changed my life in such a profound way. Um, so I, I want to get into a picture of, of, of the nature of our being. And there's lots that could be debated about this, but let's put my spiritual chart up. Some of you guys have seen this. This, this circle, I'm sorry to say, maybe you need a training pl- program, is very round. Uh, this represents you. And me, all of us, okay? So what are we? What are we? We are people. What is the nature of our existence, okay? Lots of different ways philosophers debate of how to explain this, theologians as well. But at least you can say, I see all of you have a body. You've come in here with it. And your body was given to you at birth, and it's been growing up since then. And in your body, you have these, uh, these receptors that allow you to take in information from the world. How do you take in information? Your five senses. Let's say them together in a liturgical way. The five senses are taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. That was terrific. You guys nailed that. So... Right from an infant child, they began to, to recognize, okay, certain faces keep showing up here in front of me. There's, uh, there's the odd face here and there where I'm past as someone. But certain faces are usually smiling at me and often making it so that I'm not in poop anymore. I like these faces. They're feeding me. And so you, you, information comes into you, to your body by the five senses, and it's processed where? In your, in your mind. Because the, the next thing we need to know is we're not just a body, we're also a soul. We, there's some, some immaterial part of us, call it what you want, the, the, the scriptures call it a soul, some immaterial part of you that makes you you. It is your consciousness, it is, your, it is, it is that, that, that part of you that is gone when you physically die, even though your body is present, your soul is not there. So what is a soul? Well, for our purposes today, we're just going to say it's your mind, and I'm not talking about the gray matter of your brain, I'm talking about your conscious thought. It is your will, your volition, your ability to make decisions, and then it is your emotion life and the wide range of that. So information comes into your body, your entire life. It's processed in your mind. Decisions are made in, 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 in your willpower and then you have emotional reactions. And of course, that's overly simplistic like any spiritual chart is going to be to the nature of our actual reality. This doesn't work in a linear way. But you have smells that you register that, oh my gosh, that is... That is Joe's Pizza in the village. And I know exactly where I am. I'm on this corner and I just got a waft of it. So I have a file in my mind because of the senses I've previously ingested of Joe's Pizza. And so I make a willful decision to walk down to Joe's and I, and I fork out the money for a slice. And then I have a positive emotional reaction to that. And it's so well priced and delicious. See, this process works over and over again, and it's firing a million times a day. And, and as it does, it begins to shape the pattern of your life. It begins to shape your preferences. It begins to be your habits. It has a, a, a bearing on your personality. 
So everyone has this, right? You might even say when the, when the, when the book of Romans is talking about the flesh, which we automatically assume means like our, our bones and skin or it means sexual sin. But when, the, when Romans is talking about the flesh, it's talking about a pattern of life that can operate without God involved at all. You can do this with what you have. Take in information, process it in your mind, make willful decisions, have emotional reactions. Those pleasant emotional reactions begin to direct you in a particular way that they become habits. And then you actually, whether you know it or not, you live by your habits so much more than you live by just your conscious inspiration. So this can shape you. This can become a pattern of life that you can be conformed to. So, When the New Testament describes coming into relationship with Jesus, it's not just like, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's saying, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and that means that his life counts for me, his death counts for me, his resurrection counts for me, that I'm adopted into the family in a profound way, that the veil is torn in my life, that I've actually become a temple. He fills me with his spirit. This is what the people who are converted to to faith in Jesus in the New Testament, this is what happens to them. And they're filled with the spirit and they become alive in a new way. This is what it means when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, you have to be born again. He's saying you have to come alive in an entirely new way. And what happens is that your spirit comes alive by my spirit. Romans 8 says the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. By his spirit we cry, Abba, Father. He hasn't given us a spirit of slavery anymore, but a spirit of of, of freedom. So, Romans 12 is saying that The battleground is in the body and in the mind. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Like what your mind is captured by, your body will often be offered to. What you offer your body to will actually begin to reinforce what your mind is captured by. It's why you can get into things that eventually like are too strong for your willpower to get you out of. That you, you, you want to be free, you mentally say, I'm going to be free, I'm not going to do this anymore, but your willpower sort of falters, right? This is why you cheat on your diet at the end of the day, because will, willpower is a, is, a, is a declining resource. It, 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 it is not perpetual. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, this pattern of life without God, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know from Romans 8 that the transformation takes place by the Spirit, And so instead of just going to your willpower for change, you begin to go to the places of the Spirit. You invite the Spirit into this process. So, I I had no idea when I was a young Christian about how to live practically by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was just meant like every now and then you just get a really good feeling from God that feels like wind blowing through the room. That's best you can hope for. But there's really practical ways that the New Testament describes how you can access what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I'll just give you a couple of them really quick. One is the Word of God. The Word of God is called the Sword of the Spirit. So when all these these preferences and habits and, and thought processes that are ingrained in you, because this is the process of life you've been living by, when the Spirit comes in, all of a sudden there's a new opportunity. Instead of just hearing this thought in my mind that I've always believed about myself, I can take that thought captive and replace it with a promise of God. Like, you don't have to be anxious. 
Even though I've always been anxious about this. I was a nervous little kid. I didn't like the dark. I didn't sleep well. And I always wanted a nightlight. But I can replace that anxious thought that's had a grip on me this entire time with a, with a, with a different promise. You don't have to be anxious about everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. There's another reality that can be at work. And the Spirit uses the Word of God like a sword. It's the only offensive weapon in the, in the, in the armor of, of a Christian. And it is for, for fighting back against lies. It's for remembering who we truly are. Another place you know the Spirit works is prayer. Now, you can just fire off a one-sentence prayer on your way to the train, and maybe the Spirit's involved in that. But what I'm, specifically what I'm talking about is when you're, when you're doing that Romans 8 type of prayer and the spirit is praying within you and and you're expressing your longings to God and you're listening for God to speak back to you. If you want to know how to pray in the spirit, you can pray the word of God. I want to introduce you to the Psalms. You can go to the Psalms and you will find no matter what you're experiencing, there is, there is the full emotional range of the human life in the Psalms. And if, you, if you're looking for a place that you can pray honestly, but also know you're praying the word of God and engaging with the Spirit, you can, you can pray the word of God. Another place we see the Spirit showing up is praise. God inhabits the praises of his people. This is why sometimes people wander into Trinity Grace Park Slope and they don't know that we all show up late, so they're here for the music part. Crazy. Um, and they're like, I don't know what's going on with that song, but I'm feeling an energy there. Like, there's something to this. And I'm coming back because whatever that was, though I don't have language for it, it's, it's stirring something in me. The Spirit of God inhabits the praises of His people. One reason among many to be here at 1030, just saying. Um, offer your bodies. <laughs> the last one that I'll mention is, is community. Right? There's famous passages Christians say to one another where two or more are gathered in his name that God is there. That there's a power that comes in knowing a God who is relational, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. To know him really, you have to be in, in community. You have to, you have to be, because you're not going to see the full picture just on your own. So this is community. This is like New Testament koinonia. This is not like we got together for brunch and we were Christians. This is we're intentionally gathering in his name. We're intentionally trying to live our lives collectively length, arms following after Jesus together. And this is how the Spirit (laughs) renews your mind, assists your willpower, and begins to change the emotional landscape of your life. It's it's literally the, the New Testament reliable process of transformation. And it's not as simple as this chart makes it, but these are some clues that are really helpful, and they've changed my life. As we stop conforming to the pattern of the world and being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we're learning more and more to live the life of the Spirit, the life of Jesus, the life that honors God. And out of that, you come to know God's will. If you're really intimate with someone, right, bring this down to the level of a human being. Your best friend, your spouse, you start to know the things they want without having to ask. This is why you can get in trouble as a spouse, because you knew. Okay? And you did something else. Just a little personal stuff. Um, it says that you'll know God's will, that his will is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. The nature of it is the will of God when it is done in the world 
is it's good, it's beautiful, it's true, it's proper. It is healing, it is redeeming, it accords with that vision of mercy. It's also pleasing, not just as God pleased. Some of us need to know the holy life is not easy at all. It is also the most enjoyable life possible for a human being. The life that accords with the character of God. It's the most free, the most full of joy, the most imaginative, the, the most abundant life possible. And it is, it is perfect. Its quality is the quality of the age to come. We are so out of time. So I'm not, I'm just going to basically, t- like in like truly two or three sentences, tell you what the rest of the passage says. It says, once this transformation begins to work in you, you're going to walk in humility because you know who you are, but you're also going to walk in courage because you know who you are. It's a life where we've been brought in to be family with one another, and we're actually members of one another, as if we're so intertwined that we're one body. And that in that body, every single one of us, it says each one of you have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. That you are meant to make a unique contribution to the family of God, to the body of Christ. However much you think of yourself. If you're having problems, you feel like, I'm conformed to this pattern of life that I don't think I'm enough or I'm not qualified or I can't. Go back and see verses 1 and 2 again. But as even though we are in process, we're not fully there. We're still full participants. We're still fully invited. You still have a seat at the table. You're still invited to the family brunch. You're still in all the way, and you're gifted. And some of you are prophets. That means you, you, you love to listen for God's voice. You're drenched in God's word and the scriptures. You're speaking the heart of God for the people of God. If you're, if you're gifted as a prophet, then prophesy according to your faith. If you're gifted to serve... Some of you have unique abilities to see needs in other people and needs in situations even before they're mentioned. You're so skilled at caring for people well. Do that. Some of you can teach. You can make complicated things understandable. You can help people understand the world and how to live in it. Do that. Some of you are particularly gifted with with giving encouragement. You're good at putting courage in other people. They get around you and they're beat down and then a few minutes with you and you're helping build them up. You're putting courage in them. You lift up those around you. Do that. Some of you can lead. You can rally people to a vision. You can help guide the process to its fulfillment. You help people find their right place. You empower. Some of you are particularly gifted with showing mercy. You lead the way in helping us see the way what happens when God's grace steps in. Some of us are ready to write someone off, but you are gifted in showing mercy. Say, no, we're going to revisit that situation. Because if God's resurrection power steps in, everything changes. You're good at showing mercy. It says do it cheerfully, right? And this is not a comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. You'll find others in the New Testament, but it is so important that you know this. Every one of you adopted into the family of God, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what yours are, begin living by the process described in verse one and two. Have a vision of God's mercy. Offer your body. As a living sacrifice, that's what worship is. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know what God's will is. It's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect, and you'll know it. As you're doing that, pay attention to the things that you're really passionate about, the things that give you tons of joy or the things that make you really angry. Sometimes those are clues as to your passions and your gifts. 
What are, what are people encouraging you in? Like you do something and people are like, you have no idea. I needed to hear that word at that exact moment. Or, or I never thought of it that way. When you said it that way, it just like the light went on. Like what are the things people encourage you in? Another clue to start understanding what your spiritual gifts are. And then mark where you sense the Holy Spirit leading you. You are a child of God. The Spirit is in you. Your birthright from the gospel is that you hear his voice. Every one of us is in process and every one of us is a full participant in in God's kingdom. This is how we change. This is how we live together. We did it, guys. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, so many words have been said. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and sort through them and apply them to our hearts and minds in exactly the way that each of us need. You know the way each of us are supposed to respond this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, guide us as we we meditate, as we consider you, as we come to the table, as we worship Show each of us how we are to respond and to minister to one another. In Jesus' name. I'm going to give you those moments that we always take each week to just reflect in silence on how the Holy Spirit is leading you. But I, I do have a sense that some of you just need a reminder of God's mercy. Like when I was describing having a vision of God's mercy, you're like, that's pretty limited for me. You need to know that it is expansive and that it is for you. Some of you know right away you've been conforming to the pattern of this world in, in some significant way in your life, and you know it's time to offer your body and to offer your mind. That <laughs> You need new habits and new thoughts to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to commit <laughs> to walk in the ways that God has gifted you, to walk in step with how the Spirit has equipped you to live as a son or daughter. So I'm just gonna leave those three options on the screen as we pray. And there'll be a time for you to pray with someone as this service goes on, uh, as we come to, 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 to receive the meal in just a moment, as you pray with one another. So um, ask the Spirit how he would have you respond, and then in just a few moments we'll, we'll continue worshiping and come to the table. Church, everyone who is united to Christ, um, I invite you to respond in, in these two ways. We're going to come to the table and we're going to worship. Some of you will need to add a third way, which is to come forward and receive prayer. This is not a solo journey. Whether you have something to praise God for or something you're wrestling with, we have people that would love to pray with you about anything at all. As we prepare to come to the table and then to worship, 
We hear these familiar words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray for this meal in just a moment. But for those of you who need to receive prayer, some of you specifically will need to respond to this invitation to remember God's mercy, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit instead of being conformed to this pattern that you've been in, and to commit to walk in the ways God has gifted and called you. So if the Spirit is prompting you in any of those ways, please come forward and receive prayer. There will be people who would love to pray with you. When I say amen in just a moment, you can stand and make your way forward to receive the meal and then we'll continue to sing out praise to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this bread and this cup and what they represent, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, our redemption, that you have stepped into the brokenness of the world with us, taken all of our sin, mistakes, and failures on yourself and cried out, it is finished and released a resurrection power, a a pattern of life change that we've been looking at, that we need. So come, Holy Spirit, accomplish your work and your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, as you're ready, come forward, receive the meal.